Welcome to the Voice of Conservative Values with Daniel Bobinski of True Idaho News and Uncover DC. Brought to you by conservativesof.com. And now, here's Daniel. Hello and welcome to the Voice of Conservative Values. My name is Daniel Bobinski, and I thank you for tuning in. Um, Today, I'd like to start the show by talking briefly about the great awakenings that have happened in America. You know, throughout our history, this country's experienced several periods of, well, I guess you could call them great awakenings, because that's what they call them. And so this is times when we have an enthusiastic surge about God. People get excited about God and an increase in number of people uh, who get saved, who come to a saving faith in the knowledge of Jesus Christ and they accept him. Well, a few weeks ago, uh, my friend Jim Wilson was on the show. Uh, As you may recall, Jim is a retired pastor. He still stays very active in ministering to people, though, and he's also a very ardent prayer warrior. You know, a while back, uh, Jim was telling me that he believed America is headed for another great awakening, call it a revival. And I happen to agree with him. And this is actually supported by lots of friends of mine. In fact, one of my friends here in, in the Valley expressed kind of her surprise that uh, since the COVID thing happened, that there's been kind of an awakening happening. And she she kind of jokes, she goes, I always thought a revival would happen with a kumbaya thing going on, but not, not the stress of a lockdown. But yet here we are uh, seeing an increase in the number of people coming to the Lord. So why do I bring this up? Well, my friend Jim Wilson believes that uh, not only is God taking America into another Great Awakening, but that this time, different than previous Great Awakenings, uh, the revival is going to include activity in political circles. It's going to include people coming to the Lord through politics in a big way. So that's not just his belief. It's also the belief of other people in ministry that I, that I follow on YouTube when I listen to their podcasts and sermons. And based on some things that I'm seeing, uh, personally, I do believe this is going to be the case. And with that, I would like to welcome to the show Christy Warhurst. Christy, welcome. Hi, thank you. <laughs> so, Christy, I first met you several months ago, and uh, if memory serves, I first met you at the Capitol. Is that right? Yes. And uh, so we were both attending the uh, the Thursday thing called Capital Clarity. Yes. And then I ran into you at one of my wife's Constitution classes. Yes. Uh, so pretty interesting. You've got an interesting story. And we were talking. And I thought, oh, gosh, I have to have Christy on the show because this kind of lines up. Uh, you were a Democrat who became a Republican. And you were also an atheist who became a Christian. And and both of those transitions took place in the past, oh, five or so years, right? Yes. So um, as I do recall, you became a Republican before you became a Christian. Yes. Uh, so let's talk about that. Um, and as always, you know, with life journeys, there's a story. So let's start at the beginning. Let's go back to uh, home life growing up. What, what was it like growing up in your house, the political, the religious atmosphere? Well, um, I grew up and went to Catholic school. I was baptized Catholic. And in my home life, um, my parents never went to church. I went to Catholic school and then the Mass on Fridays, and that was it. Um, I didn't go on Sundays and on Saturdays, and my peers in the class 
weren't very kind to me. Hmm. Um, so that's in a nutshell right there. Hmm. They weren't kind to you because... I didn't go to church on Sundays. Ah, okay. Mm-hmm. So you stayed connected in the church then or what? I did not. I don't think I really felt connected. I was just going through the motions. I was doing the prayers. Didn't really understand what they meant. I just was doing what I was told kind of thing. Mm, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay, so kind of a rote thing going on. And so you, did you, so you, you left the church or what? Yes. I never really participated, to be honest with you, except for on the Fridays. And um, I'd say in around eighth grade, I decided to become an atheist. Wow. Yes. So just decided one day, that's it. Yes. Did you continue going to church or? No, no? I didn't go to church. I left Catholic school in sixth grade. Hmm? And since then, I had not been to church. Okay. Yes. So then after high school, then what? In high school, I was pretty much um, like, I I I started to consider myself a Democrat at that time. And I went to college and I... Um, met a friend that she was highly active in the political realm and she happened to be on the Democrat side and she was very inspirational and later on um, I discovered we kind of like fell out of um, you know hanging out with each other and all and she actually was the Democrat Party chair leader of Idaho wow yeah she was very inspirational for me and then you, so you're doing college and then what? So you, you become a Democrat in college. Yes. And you're following the, what we would call the, the left uh, ideology and, and what the, the left believes in. Yes. I wasn't completely active like I am now in politics, but I just kind of would say, I call it blindly following. Okay. Yeah. So you're in college, then what? Did you, that's when you got married, right? I got married in college. I was with my high school sweetheart. We were together for five years and we had a child. And um, yeah, at that point, 2008, we had a home that we lost during the recession. Uh, we went through a short cell. It was completely devastating. Mm. And this is around the transition that I started to wake up a little bit. And, um, my husband lost his, uh, well, he was laid off, and he was in construction, and the short sale, um, I knew something was different, or had to be different and better, and so I picked up a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki, mm-hmm. changed my life. Okay. Um, I decided to open my own business, and we would flip houses and do real estate deals, and as we started to grow in our life, in our family life, um, the friends that I was surrounded with weren't very supportive. It was almost like I wasn't worthy of being successful. Hmm. It was really eye-opening. And even in the book of um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, they talked about, or he talked about, um, once you start showing success in your life, people could start rejecting you. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what that, what, I I didn't believe it. I thought that my um, friends were, would be supportive because that's what they're supposed to do, right? Mm-hmm. And they were not. Mm-hmm. That was very eye-opening. And um, then this kind of transitions into the politics. Um, Robert Kiyosaki also co-authors a bunch of books with uh, Donald Trump. Okay. And The Art of the Deal, I look at it as a textbook. 
And um, <laughs> I was totally excited when he went down that escalator because he helped me in my journey of becoming a successful person. And well, he was part with Robert Kiyosaki. And when he announced his um, presidential candidacy, um, I was just excited. I had never heard any presidential person talk about illegal immigration, which I was against. And um, I was just really excited. And I started to share that on, of course, Facebook. Well, well, most, so you were a Democrat. Yes. And um, you told me that you had voted for Obama. Twice. Twi okay. So you then most Democrats believe in open borders. So, I mean, so you, you differed from them on that. Oh, good point. Yes. Um, I started to realize that too. I, I realized I was more conservative and I had no idea what that was until I started to see the, the different platforms. Okay. Yeah. And Donald Trump, he uh, showed me a platform and I aligned with it and... Yeah. So he was talking about things that resonated within you. Really? Yes, he did. Yeah, he did talk about that. I think that's really important for people to realize. Um, a lot of folks, when, when I served in the military, um, you meet all kinds, right? You meet every, every stripe. <clears throat> and people um, are raised in a home. Oftentimes, they become a Democrat or a Republican uh, simply because their parents were. And uh, in, throughout my career, I mean, for the past three plus decades, um, I've been an executive coach and corporate trainer, and I'm certified in several areas, including in, in motivations. Mm -hmm. And motivations, uh, values, are, are learned in our youngest years, uh, ages zero through four. And so that's when we get these emotional imprints. In fact, I tell people, you know, when you think back to your earliest memories, uh, there's always an emotional a situation uh, surrounding it. That's because emotions really help us cement our memories and learning is tied to emotions, good solid learning. And so when you have an emotional imprint in the, in the home of a positive or a negative, doesn't matter, it's going to create an impact, an impression of some kind to which we ascribe an idea of right and wrong. And that's why I say most people, uh, and I think it's just, it just plays out, that, that they become a Democrat or a Republican because of the emotional imprint that occurs in their home. Now, you said you didn't have that growing up. You did receive that in college, though. You had some friends. You had, so you, there's an yes. emotional impact there. Mm -hmm. um, and yet, here are your values as things that you realized, wait a minute, uh, just because I was been a Democrat here doesn't mean that that totally aligns with my values. You, you kind of fell into it, I think you said. Yes, I did. I did. Yeah. So, go ahead. Yeah, the environmental impacts of the world, that was a big thing for me. And I remember the first time that was, I was actually in a parade um, in seventh grade with Miss um, Kojis, and we were um, doing, um, it was called KSE, and it was Kids Saving the Earth. And that was a big imprint on me. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's amazing th thinking about it. Mm -hmm. Right now, looking back at it. Yeah. Yeah. These, these, so people are raised in a certain mindset and certain emotional things happen and they adopt their value systems. And that's why we can't blame people for adopt because those things happen. But I would hope to think that as we mature and as we start thinking about our thoughts, um, we, we start analyzing why do we believe what we believe. 
Mm-hmm. Then it becomes a little more clear when we start, when we can choose our values. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you, so you said you voted for Trump, first Republican I've ever voted for. Okay, and then what happened? I mean, here you are a Democrat, and you decide to switch parties. Um, well, yes, I started to share my support for Donald Trump on social media, and got a really big uh, backlash from my so-called friends at the time, and um, this. Uh, friend that was the Democrat Party chair of Idaho, I didn't know that she was at the time. Um, we were just Facebook friends. And uh, <laughs> that was really interesting with her um, point of view. And um, we're not really talking much anymore, <laughs> you know, and I still love her. And there's a few other people, but that was the big, like, you've known me this long. And then all of a sudden, I'm this evil person, racist and all that stuff, you mm-hmm. know, and I'm just like, you've known me this long and all of a sudden you don't know me anymore? Like, hmm. that's just ridiculous. It was ridiculous. There are studies out there that uh, they, that different organizations have done to how tolerant really are people. Um, and they have found that people on the political right end of the spectrum are actually more tolerant of opposing viewpoints than the people on the left, which is surprising because most of the people on the left are always preaching tolerance. And yet uh, these studies, and, and I'm not just you know making this stuff up, there's stuff out there that where they show that you're willing to have people of an opposing viewpoint at, in your friend circle. And then you talk to people who are uh, on the left and they say, I don't know anybody who thinks like that. I don't know, talking about, you know, a Republican or a left, a right person. Um, <laughs> I don't know, I, there's nobody that I know that's like that. So how could that possibly have passed? And, and it's because they tend to not associate. And yet I, I, I know a lot of um, people on the right who have friends on the left. And I, I know I do. And I, I, I have lunch with them, you know, and we talk because we're friends. You don't have to agree on everything politically. And I think our founders talked about, about that, too. Mm-hmm. You know, it's mm-hmm. being able to share those things. Mm-hmm. So anyways, uh, you, you were then, um, shall we say, castigated out of your friend's circle. Right. What happened to you? Right. What happened there? Um, so with the teachings that I got from Robert Kiyosaki, um, with the investments and stuff, you know, I got into an investment group. And this one woman, uh, she would always invite me to political things and she's she's the next inspiration for politics and um i at the time was a democrat i went to a few republican candidacy events and i had my arms crossed and i was huh you know like no way and and then after this um backlash with friends she had the we were at a meeting and she had this um pamphlet it was for um ada county republican women uh club and um, I, I saw it kind of hanging out of her purse, and I asked her about it. And she took me by the arm, and she's all, let's do this thing. And she invited me to a precinct committeeman uh, meeting, and um, she introduced me to all these people and talk about welcoming. I couldn't believe how welcoming they were, mm. the Republicans. I was flabbergasted because I grew up thinking that Republicans were suits and they were stick in the muds and racist even, right? Mm. And these these 
folks were just the nicest and kindest people. And uh, she introduced me to this one woman, and she took me under her wing just right away, never meeting her ever, the first time ever. Mm-hmm. I felt like I've known her for years. She took me in the back of the room because at that time they were looking to um, get precinct committeemen in seats. Mm-hmm. And I signed up right then and there, and I went on to you know campaign for myself as a precinct committeeman. Did you win? I did. <laughs> I did. So congrats. Thank uh, you. So for those of you who are listening who don't know, uh, every voting district in the state, we have, I think, 35 of them, mm-hmm. every district is divided up into voting precincts. And both parties can elect a precinct committeemen to kind of be the go-between between the people who live in that precinct and the elected representatives and state senators for those precincts. Mm -hmm. So that's what that position is. Mm -hmm. And so you said you you ran and you won for a first time. I did. And and mind you, I did before then um, run as a Republican. I registered as a Republican maybe maybe a couple of months after Donald Trump announced his candidacy. Okay. Mm -hmm. And all this time you're still an atheist? Yes. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Well, what happened there? Well, that is an interesting um, unfolding. Um, I'd say around the 2008, when when we went through a short sale, um, I knew when when my friends started to not support me much. I needed support. I needed to to find some support. And so I found um, myself looking at self-help. And I went to the, the, the high, you know, really well-known people, you know, uh, Tony Robbins, the Oprah Winfrey's, you know, the um, Deepak Chopra's, and there's a few more. And um, $500 more, you would get extra information and then more, more money and then more money and more money. I'm like, there's got to be something better. And the funny thing is, is... Um, one day I ran into an old friend of mine who happens to be a life coach, and she has a Christian um, bent. And I ran into her at Winco, and um, we talked a little bit. And then I went to McDonald's like maybe a couple days later, and she happened to be in the lobby. And looking back at it, God was speaking to me right there. Hmm. And I met with her after a while. Um, I, I reached out to her a couple days later, and then um, I started working with her. Um, and she would invite me to Bible studies. And I've always been interested in religion anyway, because I have an art history background. And um, I would go to these Bible studies. And this one particular Bible study, I'd say maybe couple of years I went to these Bible studies. It was sporadic. It wasn't necessarily a, you know, a a regimen. Mm -hmm. But um, she had this one woman come and uh, she, this woman asked me what brought me hope. And I was like taken aback. I was like, no one's ever asked me that before. And I said, well, what is hope? And um, my friend, she said, well, do you think of it as a lottery hope, like a throwaway hope? And I said, oh, wow, yeah, I kind of do. And so we started to look it up, the word hope in a dictionary, and it said giddy anticipation. And like- Giddy anticipation. Giddy anticipation. And this uh, light just kind of went off inside of me. Like I'd never felt full before i never felt alive and i'm looking around at the the group and i was like you guys feel like this all the time and 
I just, I'd never experienced that before. So it's undeniable. Placing your hope in Christ. I, I think that's what it was. I think, I think the Holy Spirit filled me mm. because as an atheist, you're empty. You're completely empty. Mm. Seeking out validation from humans, from others. Um, it's almost a codependency feeling, you mm-hmm. know, um, looking for approval from others. And, you know, if if you're surrounded by people that don't approve of, approve of you and then you're trying to fill yourself up when you're empty, that's depressing. Mm. I was, I'd say, I'd say depressed okay. for a long period of time. Um, even like suicidal thoughts weren't uncommon to my myself. They were common? They were common. And I thought that was normal. Really? Yes. Ever since um, the Holy Spirit came in and filled me up, I have not th- thought of suicide whatsoever. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. That's powerful. Yes. <laughs> so, so we've got people listening who actually may feel empty, right? Um, what would you say to somebody who feels empty? Well, I'm not an expert. Um, This has only been happening for the last year. And I just started to attend church um, in October. And I would say go and try to find churches, at least now, that don't show a concern. Because, okay, I will give you some examples. Because when I was going to uh, some churches, I did go to churches while I was an atheist. And I would tell the, the greeters at the end of the uh, sermon that I hadn't been to church in like 25 years. And they would look at me like something was wrong. And nothing was wrong with me. I was completely fine. But that was just reaffirming that I didn't want to go back to church. And so you, did you say you felt kind of a condemnation? Yes. Mm. And so this one particular church that I went to in October, I didn't get that at all. And I actually ran into a couple of people that I knew from other networking events for my business. Mm-hmm. And they were so welcoming. I mean, they were great people anyway. But the fact that they started going, that they went to the church that I happened to attend was just even better, yeah. you know. And um, this particular church never made me feel like anything was wrong with me. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like we're going to win people by loving them. Scripture is pretty clear about that. You know, we're going to know people by their love and and that's you know you take a look at that uh, that key verse in First Corinthians chapter thirteen, uh, starting in verse four, going through the first part of verse eight, where where the apostle Paul tells us what love is and what love is not. Uh, and you know I always say, well, nature abhors a vacuum, so you need to, if if love is not something, then you need to figure out what it is in its place. What's the antithesis of that? But even the very first thing is love is patient. Mm. and being patient and love is kind uh, a kind being an action all those words in there by the way are verbs and so yeah I think finding a church that practices love being patient with people and not condemning them not rushing them being kind reaching out looking for your needs those kind of things that's what I think is missing in some churches not all but some uh, that we don't have a spirit of love and yet Jesus told us very clearly that uh, the, that the greatest command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, strength, and soul. And then without being asked, 
He volunteered the second. He says, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he puts the icing on the cake. He says, all the law and all the prophets hang on these two commands. And to me, that is the, when I prayed back in the early 90s, Lord, where where do you want me to focus on this thing called life? That's where he led me. That that verse kind of jumped off the page. All the law and all the prophets hang on these two commands. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad you found a church that does that. Well, and then another thing about the churches that I attended, um, this is actually offensive to some, but I had a hard time with the music. I, I didn't understand it. I, I mean, I listened to Led Zeppelin and like all those guys, you know, mm-hmm. and I loved them. And then I would go to the music. I just wanted to listen to the sermons. And um, I actually am a part of the Ada County Lincoln Day Association. And that's uh, a Republican. It is a Republican fundraising thing. It's a fundraising thing. Okay. And we were looking for singers. And for the national anthem. And there was this one um, man, I don't know if I can, I, I'm not going to say his name, but um, he was the front runner of the people we were going to pick for the singer. And um, he ended up having to um, back out last minute because he had to do a surgery. And so I found another person. She was just equally phenomenal. And um, But the funny thing is, is that a friend of mine that I met in the political realm, um, she was running for office for District 17 one time, and um, we became good friends. And I ran into her at a prayer at the Capitol. And at the time, I didn't know what I was doing either. <laughs> and um, she invited me to be a on the worship team hmm. um, for a Capitol prayer for um, the Idaho. And um, she... Um, this one particular guy that I was going to have do the uh, singing, he with the national anthem, he happened to be there, and I couldn't believe it. And he said um, to the worship team, "I don't want you to think you have to be perfect. I want you to worship God." At that point, I realized what worshiping meant and what music was for. Mm. I couldn't believe it. It was amazing. It is It is so important that we do that. He deserves it, every aspect of it. And it really is focusing on him. Yes. And when we talk about love, the idea of love, how do you, well, uh, Scripture says love seeks not self, right? And so when you are singing worship to God, you are not seeking self. You are focusing on him. Mm-hmm. Um, Christy, I hate to cut us short, but we are out of time. You are just a joy to talk to, and I thank you for coming and joining, my, joining me on the show. This has been... The voice of conservative values. Christy, thank you for being here. And this is Daniel Bobinski, and I and we're on here every Saturday morning at eight o'clock. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll catch you next time on KBXL. Until the next time, be blessed. Thank you for tuning in to the Voice of Conservative Values. If you'd like to support this broadcast and Conservatives of in the Treasure Valley, you can do so at conservativesof.com. Freedom can only be maintained by a prayerful, informed, vigilant, and engaged citizenry.